You're now listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. This is your host, Joseph Lappin, and I'm here with Jill Balowski. And if you don't know, we are dedicated to the working lives of creative people. And Jill was born in Cleveland, Ohio. She studied for her undergraduate degree at Ohio University and received a Master of Arts degree from the writing seminars at the John Hopkins University and an MFA from the University of Iowa Writers Workshop. Her collections of poems are Subterranean, The End of Desire, um, and I believe I'm missing your newest one uh, on your bio here, which is... The Players. The Players. And the author of the novel House Under Snow in the Life in the Life Room and co-editor with Helen Schulman of the anthology Wanting a Child. Her poems and essay appear in The New Yorker, O Magazine, Paris Review, The Nation, and many more. Her new book is The Prize, Jill, and of course she is the editor at W.W. Norton and & Company and lives in New York City. Jill, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joseph, for having me. Great. So this is about the creative journey and how you come to be in the position you are, really at the top of your craft a poet, a novelist, and an editor. But tell us, bring us back to your roots. Tell us about Cleveland, Ohio. What was it like growing up there? Really set the scene for mm. us. Well, that's a, I grew up in Cleveland. Um, I think that I became a poet actually because, um, well, for many reasons, but I remember my first encounter with poetry uh, I was in fourth or fifth grade, and my teacher, Miss Hudson, read us a Robert Frost poem. Mm-hmm. And um, I remembered just relating to the voice in that poem. It was The Road Not Taken. And I felt a real affinity to this poetic voice. But it really wasn't until I went to college. I, I studied at Ohio University, and I just by chance decided to sign up for a poetry workshop. I was an English major. I think at that time I was a junior. And um, I took a poetry class with the poet Stan Plumley, And that just opened the door for me. I, I think that there was a need for a creative expression in my life. I grew up in a difficult circumstance in the sense that my father died when I was two and my mother was left with um, three small children to take care of three daughters all a year apart. And I always felt separate from, because of that tragic loss in my family, I always felt separate from my peers. Um, And I think I developed a real inner life and finding poetry became a way in which I could begin to unlock some of the creative energy. And I feel very lucky that I walked into that poetry class because I'm not sure mm-hmm. I would have found that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was a very important moment for me. And um, I was given a lot of tools in terms of craft for poetry, and it wasn't until I went to graduate school that I thought that maybe I would want to write a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I think, driven again by a real need to tell a story and to develop these characters. And uh, it wasn't until I left the Iowa workshop and, and moved to New York 
that I actually started writing my first novel, which took me about 10 years to figure out how to really write a novel. Well, I want to get back to that okay. struggle of that 10-year journey, but sure. let's, let's go back to, you know, when I was talking to almost everyone that comes on this show, they talk about this moment where they recognize that they're an outsider, that they are different. And you mentioned the poem and Robert Frost. Right. But you also mentioned that you felt a little differently within your community in Cleveland. Can you talk about a moment where you really recognized that maybe you were an outsider or that you were different, you had this different path for you? Mm-hmm. You know, I think when, uh, when one is sort of living their own life, um, all, I, all I remember is that I very much wanted to... Um, you know, my childhood was difficult in the sense that my mother had really struggled with young children and trying to find a course in her life. And I just remembered feeling from a very young age that I didn't want that life. Mm-hmm. That um, because my mother was a mother of the 50s, she didn't work, um, she was raised to be a mother and a uh, a wife and she loved that and then then her dream was cut short by tragedy and it was very difficult for her to reinvent herself and find a new path mm. and so from a very young age I wanted to be different and I wanted to find something that I knew could just be all my own and wouldn't be dependent on anybody else mm-hmm. and I think it was just by this total drive to have a different life, to go to college, to put myself through college. And then I always was a book lover and I read books to try to understand the world in Mm -hmm. a way. But I did always feel separate from from people. I'm not sure why. You know, I I was a well-liked person. but I just always felt as if I was watching rather than participating in life in a way. And I think as a poet and as a, a, a writer, those, you know, that skill of observation has allowed me, I think, to um, be able to see the world differently than yeah. I think people who don't. I mean, people who don't write or have a creative outlet, I'm not sure what that would be like. I feel as a writer, I'm kind of living two lives. You live the day-to-day life of of a job and relationships with people, but then there's this inner life that happens as a writer, um, which is very different than the day-to-day life. So I've always felt in a way that I'm living two lives. Wow. So, but now you recognize this, you're in college, you take this poetry class, you put yourself through college. I mean, there's that moment where someone recognizes that they want to be on this journey, Mm -hmm. but then there's actually making it happen. Right, right. So what was the struggles for you? What kind of jobs did you have along the way? What was that transition like for you to get in this position? Yeah, um, you know, I think it was, so when I was in college at Ohio University, I had three jobs. One was I worked in the cafeteria, um, and then I had a job, um, a work-study job at the Ohio Review, a literary magazine. Um, And I loved that job because that was the first time that I 
experienced what it would be like to be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so my job was Mm -hmm. to um, log in manuscripts that poets and writers submitted for publication and then to be a first reader and write little reports. So I think that that job at at the Ohio Review paved the way in my mind for a possible career as a writer. But and then, then the third job that I had was working at a sub shop at night. And I only I say that now because I think that that work ethic of, you know, working, going to school, and then finding a um, finding some downtime for writing, I've always sort of continued with that process. Mm-hmm. So when I graduated from, from Ohio University, I wanted to um, study poetry, and I did an MA at Hopkins for one year, and then I took another year off from there, and I worked as a waitress, and I was working on my poetry and um, decided that I needed more time. Were there poetry in those jobs? As a waitress. Or as in the cafeteria. Right. Well, yeah, I think that that, that's, I love that idea. Yeah, because I think, you know, um, I I, I don't think I've ever written a poem about, oh, I actually did write a poem about, um, about that time in life. Yes, I did. I mean, I love those jobs. They're just the everyday job of, you know, go into work, you punch in the time clock, you know what you have to do. Um, so in a way, it, it allowed my imaginative life to, to, um, to take hold when I wasn't at work. So mm-hmm. I like that dichotomy of, you know... Um, well, this is still playing out in your life now, right? right? That's you, why I'm mentioning it, Yeah, right. so you're balancing all these three things, right. the editor... Poetry, novel, writing a poem and novel has got to be very different. How do you keep this all together? Is it continuous the process? Right. How do you balance these things in your life? Well, I think that the um, some of it is discipline, and some of it is real sense of necessity and desire. For instance, I um, I love when I'm working on a on a project, on a novel, or a book of poems, and I. And when I'm in that flow, I do wake up early and I commit myself to one or two hours. And then I'm always really happy to close my computer and go to work. Mm. And I I think, again, it's maybe just um, this practice of, um, in in a way, it allows me a lot of creative freedom because I know that... um, that whatever I do in the time in which I'm working on my writing, that's my own. That doesn't belong to anybody else but me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I really love that language. Um, and I, I came to realize over time that these projects take a lot of time to develop mm-hmm. and that you can't rush anything that's not ready to be rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you show up every day, you get pages. So how is somehow. that? How has that <laughs> colored your experience as an editor working with creatives that are trying to get to mm-hmm. where they're going? How do you 
nurture, do you nurture them? Do you spend time bringing them? How do you help them in their own process? Well, I hope I do. I, I think I'm sympathetic definitely to a writer's um, process. And for instance, sometimes we'll sign a writer for a two book contract and maybe the first book's written, but the second book isn't. And, and, and we give them a, they, between the two of us, we come up with what the delivery date will be for the second project. And I've recognized over time that writer, you know, a writer may think that he or she can finish a book in two years, but it ends up, for instance, I worked with this wonderful writer, Akhil Sharma, on his novel Family Life, and he thought he would finish it in two years, and it took 10 years. And I saw, you know, several different drafts, and we had conversations, and you know, we recognized that the book wasn't there yet, and and he experimented and tried different a different point of view at one point. So I do think that I understand that that this is that that a writer um, is going through whatever creative process that person, whatever journey that book is on. So I try to be as supportive as possible. And I think that um, my writers appreciate that. What's so interesting about writing a novel is that you you have to um, suspend all belief. In, in other words, you really don't know till you're very far into a book whether it's going to work or not. Mm. That's got to be so frustrating. Right. So, yeah. so whatever I'm working on has to really interest me. To go that distance, you know, to um, and I think that that's what happens with writers. That sometimes uh, he or she, you know, a writer might discover that the book isn't working, and so, has to maybe put it aside and start something new, or the book is working but needs more time to cook mm. and to um, and. I think every process is just unique to that particular book and that particular person. That's mm-hmm. what I've discovered. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the prize, and I've read that you see the prize as, as much about the creative process as this man in limbo. It's, tell me a little bit about the prize and how it's related to the creative process. Um, yes, thank you, um, Joseph. I would love to because I, I when I think about the origin of that book, I... It, it does relate back to when I was in graduate school because the book is very much about the thorny, difficult marriage between art and commerce. Mm. And I remember when I went to the Iowa Writers Workshop, I was very aware as a young poet of the writers that were there because they were hoping for the prize. And then there were writers there who were really needed to be writers and really wanted to develop their craft and and were not yet ambitious in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always been very interested in this idea of ambition and how it takes hold in people. And then I moved to New York City where the arts, uh, you know, writing and theater and art um, and music, everything is at, at an incredible pitch 
that you know people that come to New York mm-hmm. to be artists, mm-hmm. um, you can almost feel the intensity and the ambition like coming out of the subway grates. You know, it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of heat there, and so in in um, and I've always been more of an idealist. And so what I did in this novel, I didn't really want to write a novel about um, being a writer. And um, I wanted to, but I wanted to write a novel about um, art and life. And so I decided to, to, to um, write about a gallerist and artists. And the, my main character, Edward Darby, is a, idealistic man. He's the son of a romantic scholar. And he goes into the art business because he really believes in the transformative nature of art and how art can shape society and also the individual. And he discovers this young artist who he thinks is really brilliant. And she's working on paintings about inspired by 9-11. And he um, believes in her work and he takes her on and he makes her famous and she becomes very successful and then the plot turns mm-hmm. um, and um, he has to recognize or he has to sort of come to terms with with um, certain ideas of integrity and betrayal and um he undergoes a, a crisis of faith, both personally in his personal life and in his professional life. Mm-hmm. And so the prize gave me a lot of, um, it was a great canvas for me to explore these ideas of integrity and ambition and power and marriage and how does one keep a private space for art. Mm-hmm. So those were some of the questions that I was playing within the book and um and it was i really enjoyed working on this novel i did a lot of research about um and talked to a lot of artists about their process and it's very a lot of it is very similar to to um what i encounter as a writer what were some of those Um, surprises though when you learned about the processes of other artists what surprised you um well you know, that's a great question. What did surprise me? Well, um, the f- intense focus that artists, you know, certain artists that I talked to and admired and the commitment that they made to to make their art, I found really impressive. Um, you know, I, I have friends who are artists that um, you know, live a very hand-to-mouth existence. Mm-hmm. They're in their studio all the time. Mm-hmm. They don't know, you know, if they're going to find a dealer, if they're not going to find a dealer. And um, and then I encountered um, artists who were going to do whatever they had to do to make sure that they were successful and mm-hmm. that maybe meant... Um, that their art itself became maybe more fashionable in my mind than, than, um, than work that I really appreciated. So yeah. these were sort of ideas that were fun to play around with. Mm-hmm. And I do have the, the artist in the novel that gets famous, Agnes Murray. She's a very complicated character. 
um, she ends up marrying her her professor who is a very famous figure in the art world and I was interested also in exploring a marriage between two very competitive mm. artists and so the plot actually hinges on 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 um, the relationship between these two artists and then I juxtaposed that with my character Edward who is married to a woman who's not in his field who's a more down-to-earth person mm -hmm. he's in a more conventional marriage and I and I just wanted to explore those relationships mm -hmm. so the novel gave me a great canvas to act out some of these questions that I've always had I mean this is these are questions <laughs> and we're getting close to right. the end of here yeah. uh, but these questions are probably questions that young artists are asking all the time is that how do you stay true to yourself do you, how do you navigate being successful because you need to survive too right, right yes what is, what's some advice you can give to people listening out there who are this young creative about balancing those ideas in their own mm -hmm. life and their own work well I always think that that um, it's important maybe to keep your day job. In other words, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to make a living on your art or your writing, that's great. But keep in mind that it might it might alter the product itself. Um, so I think it's very. <clears throat> important to be grounded in the world in a livelihood so that you have the opportunity to really explore in your creative work what you want to do. Because for me, I think that as an editor, for instance, I always look for work that has a certain sense of authenticity and urgency and integrity. Mm -hmm. And not work that's playing to a particular moment, if you know what I mean, or a fashion. I do. And so that's, I guess, my advice would be to only do what you can do. Great. You know, that every artist um, is a unique individual, and you have to find that voice in which to express that particular uniqueness. You know, this is really about creating your own environment to work and create art finding a way to think about that. Mm -hmm. I know that's an emotional way too, but is there a physical sense of that as well? That you have developed your own space? Like, Tell me about your own space and your own work habit. Mm -hmm. What is that like? Right. Well, I do, I get up every morning and I, I really just go to my dining room table. Oh, really? I, yeah, I live in New York City and so there's not, you know, a lot of... Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't have a room of my own for my writing yet. Maybe when my son um, finishes college and is launched, I'll have that room of my own. Oh. So I, I'm pretty mobile. I can take my computer... Right, right, right. I can take my computer wherever. So it is um, definitely an emotional sense. Yeah, a, it a, is. A mental sense. Yes, I, I, and... And the truth is, when you finish a book, you don't know when the next one's coming. You, you, you don't have you know? the next one already? Well, I have a couple of ideas swimming around that I'm experimenting with. But whether, you know, I have to wait for that moment to take hold where I really know that this is what I want to spend the next three years or four years or five years on. That's going to be frustrating, um, knowing when, waiting to find right. that answer, right? It's... It, 
Yeah, that's why I'm very grateful for my job as an editor, because again, I don't think I would, I don't have the constitution emotionally, psychically to, um, to be um, stationary. I've always have to, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's very odd. I'm always interested in how other writers do this in their process, but for me, um, something has to take hold and then it happens. I can't manufacture it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just hope that the, a couple things that are swimming around in my mind and on the page actually do take hold because then I feel better. Well, we're looking forward to seeing what that ends up being. Thank you so much for being here. You are no longer listening to the Working Poet Radio Show.